With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Phillips Levin of the 1012 Podcast here. If you've been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I. Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, as well as BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us for this week's loaded episode. And I mean, this episode is low dead. We are wrapping up our position group ranking pods, and I saved the best for last. We are doing the pass rush. I am so excited about this one. This one was absolutely fantastic. Both guests are here. Don't worry. Ryan Chapman works for the franchise in Oklahoma. Great radio guy. And Robbie Triano, who also on the radio Sirius XM, Big 12 radio producer. They are joining us to rank them one through 10. We've got some consensus. I thought this was great. Lot, just, just a fantastic conversation about what I think is the strongest position group or strongest thing in the Big 12 this year. You guys are going to love it. And college soccer gets underway this week. We got exhibition games last weekend, this past weekend. We get games, sorry, matches that matter this coming weekend. So I have two fantastic interviews to set up the Big 12 soccer season. West Virginia head coach Nikki Izzo-Brown joins us for a great conversation about what went wrong with West Virginia last year and why you should have much higher expectations for them this coming season. And then, as we continue to love to talk about the schools that will be joining the Big 12 in 2023, BYU women's soccer finished last season as the national runner-up, so we have their head coach Jen Rockwood on to talk about what expectations are for BYU this year and how that program is preparing to enter the Big 12 in the summer of 2023. 
three fantastic interviews. Like I said, a loaded episode. Like I've got a long list of notes that I wanted to go over for this intro. Uh, we ran a poll on Twitter this week asking what should the Big 12's number three sport be? What should it be? What should it be? Should it be baseball, softball, wrestling, uh, something else? We got a lot of answers. We got a lot of opinions and I loved them. And I, I want to spend some time on that poll because I think it's an important conversation, but we're going to save it because I, I, we're, this episode's too full and I, I can't give it the, 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 what it is due. Uh, I, I do want to note if you're a big podcast listener, if you do not listen to going for two, that is uh, Matt Brown of extra points who we've had on this show multiple times. That is his podcast. You need to go and check out the big 12 preview with Shahan J. Raji of CBS sports, uh, who is one of the most pro big 12 voices in the national football, national sports media. Uh, he had a really good conversation about the big 12 had some really interesting notes. Uh, he talked to Linda Livingstone, big 12 media days about why, herself and other ADs in the Big 12 were comfortable going outside of college athletics for leadership in picking the new Big 12 commissioner in Brett Yormark. Really interesting stuff. Great interview. You need to go and check that out. That is the Going for Two podcast. Of course, I mean, look, listen to every show on the 1012 network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network.com. You can find links to every show, but listen to as many Big 12 previews as you can. This is one to definitely listen to. Huge, huge news for the University of Texas and their football program. Uh, Orange Bloods, the first to report this, that uh, transfer wide receiver Isaiah Nayer, who transferred in from Wyoming, and, and I think is at worst the second best wide receiver on this roster, and uh, senior offensive lineman Junior Angula are doubtful for the 2022 season after serious uh, injuries. Like Orange Bloods basically said there's a chance that they are out for the year. Uh, CBS also reporting this. Both apparently were sustaining knee injuries during the first scrimmage of the fall. Their 2022 seasons are in doubt. This is bad news. This is this is bad. For, for an offensive line that we've talked about having depth issues and how much they're going to have to rely on youth to lose one of your best offensive linemen, not great. And a, a pass-catching group, when we did our pass-catching rankings, Texas was by far number one. This takes a ding. Like there's still plenty on this roster to be excited about if if you're a quarterback having to throw to somebody, but that's not act like losing Isaiah Nair isn't a bad thing. That's a ding to a very talented receiving core. Yes, they can have somebody else step up, but it ain't. It's it's going to be hard. Not great news for Texas. Obviously, that's something to keep an eye on uh, throughout this week. Another thing to keep an eye on this week, the AP poll, the first AP poll of the season, the preseason poll comes out on Monday. If you're listening to this episode on Monday, which I hope you listen to it whenever you enjoy, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we are still at one episode a week. Until next week, week zero, we'll be back to two episodes a week. Got a lot to talk about next week. Very excited about. Uh, AP poll out. I'm, I'm interested to see what it looks like. I'm interested in how many Big 12 teams are in it. I mean, we can expect to see Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and probably Texas. Does Kansas State actually get any votes? They didn't in the coaches' poll. I think they should have. We will see. We will see. I'm, I'm. The coaches' poll is whatever. The AP poll I'm much more interested in. Because I think it has a stronger emphasis on public perception heading into the season than the coaches' poll do. Coaches' poll is like, okay, cool, awesome. Did you do this or did an assistant do this? AP poll, these are people who cover the sport. And yes, a lot of them are 
people who cover very specific teams in very specific areas, and they are biased towards those teams in those areas. But when you put all that together, I do think you get a decent representation of how everybody feels heading into the season. But it also, I believe, it influences how people feel heading into the season, which is always my problem with preseason polls. But very interested to see what that looks like on Monday. Home Build Apparel just put out Penn State as part of Big News Saturday Season 4. They have announced that Ohio State is the last one that's coming out next week. Penn State and Ohio State, two huge brands. Penn State is now the best-selling school, Big News Saturday, of all of them. It beat Florida, and Florida had a massive first day. Penn State just blew it out of the water. That puts Kansas State back to fourth now, which is still just stinking impressive that it's the best performing of all the Big 12 schools. How much you want to bet that Kansas State is fifth after Ohio State comes out and just sells like mad? Like, it feels like it's going to do just amazing numbers. Look, we're not buying Penn State. We're not buying Ohio State. We do have two shirts from Kansas State's collection, and they are amazing. So go to homefieldapparel.com. Check out Kansas State, as well as every other Big 12 school that is currently available. And it's all of them, current and future. includes UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, and Houston. Don't forget to use the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, and get 15% off your first order. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Make sure you're following them on Twitter. Use the promo code NETWORK12. Get 15% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel there is this college football season. All right, reminder... 1012network.com. You can find every show, including the link to our newest show, Sons of UCF. They cover the UCF Knights. They do an amazing job. Uh, the Knights' new uniforms look freaking awesome. Every show in the network, West Virginia fans, Raspy Voice Kids, Kansas fans, Rock Chalk Podcast, Texas fans, Fire the Cannon is back. Love it. Baylor fans, Between Two Bears, I know you want to check it out. Whole network is available on there. Go and check it out. You need to do so. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at 1012network. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at 1012pod. We would appreciate if you do. Shout out to those who left us reviews this summer. Matt Workman, back in July, five stars. Great pod. This is a great podcast for coverage of Big 12. Good people all around. Love it. Thank you, Matt. Sooner fan okay. Love this show. Five stars. Y'all rock. Love listening to y'all every Monday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Love the 1012 pod. Hashtag Big 12 Football Rocks. Hell yes, it does. Jeff Ruff. New sub here. Five stars. Excellent pod, fellas. I've added you to my pod rotation. Thanks, Jeff. WVU Podhead. Let's go, Mountaineers. And UH Sammy. Sami, S-A-H-M-I. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it. Great Big 12 podcast, five stars. 1012 podcast has great content, very informative, engaging, and passionate, and highly recommended to not just Big 12 fans, but college football fans as a whole. All of you, thank you so much. I appreciate every one of these. I appreciate your five-star rankings. I appreciate your reviews. It does a wonder for us. It really helps our show out. Plus, it's just nice to know that you guys appreciate and you gals, you folks appreciate the hard work that uh, I and everyone else involved in this show does. That includes our guests and our co-hosts, who Andy and Jamie will be back next week. Trust me, I'm even more excited than you are to hear them back here on the show. So, loaded show, as we mentioned, pass rush rankings, Ryan Chapman, Robbie Triano. We've got two soccer previews, West Virginia head coach, Nikki Izzo-Brown, BYU head coach, Jen Rockwood. Loaded show. Let's get to it.
Are you a parent listening to this podcast with a child at home, either in middle school or high school, already thinking about college planning, scholarships, or dreaming of them playing sports in college? Do you know a high school or middle school athlete who wants to go and play in college? Whether it's D1, D2, D3, or just they're not even sure they just want to keep playing during college. Well, let us introduce you to one of our friends of the podcast and a company who is an expert in the world of college recruiting, Recruit Route. Led by our friend Brian Bedford, a 25-year veteran of recruiting and former D1 recruiting director, Recruit Route offers a full suite of offerings to help student-athletes, parents, and high school coaches be better educated and empowered to successfully navigate the college recruiting process. Check out our friends at recruit-route.com. That's recruit-route.com. Don't forget, run your route in recruiting with Recruit Route. All right, the season is almost here, which means we have got to wrap up our position group ranking episodes. Look, we saved the best for last, pass rush. I mean, how can you not be excited about the pass rushes in the Big 12 after what we saw last year and what we think we will see and hope to see this year? I have two fantastic guests joining us today to help us break these down one through 10. Joining us, Robbie Triano, producer for Sirius XM's Big 12 Radio, uh, a a radio station of which we are obviously a fan of. Robbie, welcome back to the show, man. It's a pleasure to be back. Big fan of you guys' work, Uh, so it's good to be here. And definitely, I would consider this the most important position group, so I'm happy to break it down. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And also joining us, I believe this is your first time, Ryan Chapman. Uh, you know him from the franchise uh, and does a fantastic softball show, OU softball show during a softball season. It was great, man. I loved it. Ryan, welcome to the show, man. I'm glad to finally be aboard. I know we've talked a ton, but I think this is the maiden voyage on on the pot. So stoked to be here. You know, it's it's weird. I, I talked to so many different people and I feel like I've had everyone on the show before. And then it's like, how have you not been on here yet as much as long as i've been so we have uh, we have corrected an error finally and gotten ryan on here uh and what better time than ranking pass rushes which i think is just is gonna be super cool obviously for pass rush the way we view that is defensive line defensive end and in some cases linebacker as as positionless as college football has become i mean we, we talked last year you know nick benito is he a defensive end is he a linebacker what what position does he hold terrell bernard jalen petrie for baylor this has become such a big thing and i and i it's why i was so excited to do pass rush and why you know it took us a little while to get our guests lined up and i'm glad we're doing it today i think it is definitely one of the one of the units i would i would say where man that <laughs> that rush is coming from somewhere. You don't know who's going after the quarterback. It could be a linebacker. It could be a defensive end. It could be a defensive end lined up at outside linebacker. You know, it's it's such a fun, fun unit. And it was so much fun to watch last year. I, before we start counting these down, both of you, I'm just like, what is kind of your anticipation of, of what we might see in the Big 12 this year from the pass rush? Yeah, for, for me, I think this is the deepest group in the entire league, which is strange to think about because when you think about the conference, you don't see, you don't hear about defense. Stereotypically, you hear oh, amazing high-flying offenses. I think that narrative is changing a little bit, and I think that the biggest struggle that this league has had is putting great defensive players into the league or putting them into the league at all. And I think this year we're changing the narrative on this. We have some, I think, the top five defensive players in the league our pass rushers. I think they are on the defensive line. So for me, I think that is the strength of this league, definitely defensively. And honestly, maybe even in the entire league, when it comes to the top position group, I think the DL is just fantastic this year. So a lot of key players uh, as well. 
it's going to be extra fascinating too because I think you're right that the talent defensively in this conference is is found in the trenches. And when you pair that with at least something about you guys, my expectation is that the offensive line play is not going to be just Sterling across the board this year. And so when you take those two things, you're like, okay, it's already going to be a conference that you have not just one, two, but you can go five, six, seven deep that have at least one incredibly talented pass rusher. Um, And and then obviously when you get to kind of the top end, you've got whole just filled out units. Uh, There are a lot of offensive line coaches that I think are going to walk in Sunday mornings trying to do some quick advanced scouting go uh, guys we're screwed again this is not going to be pretty we there need to be a lot of tight ends and running backs that need to pay extra attention to uh, all their blocking drills in fall camp because they're going to be needed uh, against some of these defensive lines this year yeah agreed I, it's going to be really interesting uh, I feel really bad for offensive line coaches and offensive lines uh, you know it, it's funny you don't you know, defensive line recruiting, defensive end recruiting in the Big 12 isn't something where you're seeing the studs go. And yet it seems like the Big 12 is developing them really, really well as we see a shift towards focusing on defense in the Big 12 over focusing on offense. All right, let's break these down. We're going to go one through 10. Uh, number one at the top, I think I think the, the beginning of this conversation is going to be the most interesting because I think there are... I, I will tell you this. I have one A, one B, one C at the top, and then a drop in everybody else. And so I'm really interested to see kind of how we how we stack up one, two, three. Ryan, as a first time guest, I'm giving you the honors of going first here. Uh, who do you have as the best pass rush in the Big Twelve this year? Yeah, no Jim Knowles, no problem. I think for the Cowboys in Stillwater, and I think that first off, you can look at it a couple of different ways. So if you're someone that values having the best pass rusher, the best guy. I know he's young. I know he's kind of going through a coaching transition, but guys, Colin Oliver was my preseason pick for big 12 defensive player of the year. I think that he was that good last year as someone who was just thrown out there, not really knowing what he doesn't know and just kind of reacting. And he was an absolute monster reports out of camp that this summer he's put on 20 pounds and has really rounded out um, his game. That's a scary proposition. And it's even scary when you talk about, okay, you've also got, Tyler Lacey, you've got Brock Martin, you've got Trace Ford. Remember him? He was awesome. He was the young sensation, right? Until he got hurt. So I think that Oklahoma State, what they bring to the table is they have three different guys and like Lacey, Ford, or Oliver, you put them on their own defensive line. I'm just like, they, they might be primed to try and chase down double digit sacks. And when you put them all together, just from a pass rushing perspective, I think that separates them a little bit from a spot like a Baylor that we'll talk about or, or something like that, where Yes, it's a talented defensive line, but they're, they're, Baylor's more like eating up mass in the middle to, to stuff the run. Oklahoma State specializes in the pass rush. Uh, I do agree this is a 1A, 1B scenario, but for me, I have the Baylor Bears number one for them. And it, it's tricky, too, because when you look at the numbers from last year when it comes to Oklahoma State, they led the conference in sacks with 38 38 sacks, and they are returning their top two sacks, people who had sacks in Brock Martin and Colin Oliver. Uh, by the way, second in the league last year was Baylor at 24. So, you know, just a 14 uh, sack <laughs> difference, which is incredible. But what I prefer with Baylor over Oklahoma State, 
Uh, they have a fantastic defensive line. I think we can compare those two, and it's it's tough to say which one is better because I think they're both great. But I think what Baylor has that Oklahoma State doesn't right now because they lost Devin Harper and Malcolm Rodriguez is I think they have a lot more players at the linebacker position who can get to the quarterback a little bit more. Going to Big 12 media days and seeing Dylan Doyle, that is a, a ginormous human being, and he is replacing Terrell Bernard, who – I mean, and he was still very productive last year. You have Gabe Hall, who is just a physical freak. And Bruce Feldman said it himself. I mean, he's he was number 17 on his freaks list, 6'6", 295 pounds. I mean, they just have players behind the defensive line that are great. And their defensive line is also spectacular as well. I love watching Siaki Ika, Apu. I mean, he's just, once again, another physical freak at the nose tackle position. 6'4", 350. That's a lot of burgers. That's a lot of eating stuff. And like his stats doesn't necessarily like jump off the page. He's not a player that will get 10 sacks a game, but he is one that will completely disrupt the entire thing for the offense. He will get, he will put so much pressure on that offensive line that it will help the rest of his defensive players come in as well. You have Jackson player coming from Tulsa, who I think is a great addition that they can just swap back and forth. If Apu needs a break, here comes Jackson player. And I think that you have Cole Maxwell as well. And you have, uh, I just think it's an excellent defensive line. And we had Jeff Grimes on our show yesterday, the offensive coordinator for Baylor. And he's been coaching offensive line and coaching in general for about 25 years. And he said, I've never had this many big people on my team, returning big people on my team, coming to uh, the offensive line and the defensive line. I mean, that's incredible that they have all of this returning talent coming back. Uh, so both both these teams are excellent, but for right now, I have Baylor uh, getting the edge over Oklahoma State. Okay, um, I'm with Ryan. I have OSU at number one. You know, all the talk is, of course, on Colin Oliver. All the talk is on Trace Ford getting healthy and coming back. Somehow, Brock Martin went from a first team All Big Twelve player at the end of last season to not being a first team player this season, despite returning. Uh, he was second team according to both Athlon uh, and Phil Steele. You. Look, the interior of the defensive line isn't as good as Baylor's, uh, and you do lose Israel Antwine, but Brendan Evers is a solid defensive lineman, and they seem to be able to continue to develop their defensive lineman well. The the one thing here, and I think you kind of highlighted it, Robbie, is if there is a question for Oklahoma State, even though I have them one because of focus on pass rushes, can how many of those defensive ends can you get on the field at one time? Can you line? Can you get three of them on there? Because if you can get three of those guys on the field at the same time in some way. <laughs> look out uh the oh, question yeah. is linebacker for them you you don't replace malcolm rodriguez and devin harper rodriguez now at the lions impressing devin harper with the cowboys and dallas like you just i'm i'm xavier benson should be fine mason cobble you're not replacing those two so that is the big question is linebacker but i do think up front if we're talking just if we're ranking defensive lines i'm not sure i would have osu number one but if we're talking about pass rushes in particular that's where I give Oklahoma State the edge because of the weapons they have to get at the quarterback. And I don't see enough loss there to say that they're going to suddenly go from lead, what number one in the country in sacks to number 101, right? So I think they're still going to lead the, the Big 12 in sacks this year. So I will give them the, the number one spot. Okay, so so Ryan, that means number two, who do you have? Yeah, that's where Baylor comes in for me. For me, it was... You got those two head and shoulders above the rest. Then there's a crop of three that we'll talk about here in a minute. But 
the thing I'm really excited about too, is you mentioned it, Jackson player coming in. He's a guy that I'm really hoping that he gets some shine. Cause obviously, um, you know, living in Oklahoma, we get to see Jackson player be like the one guy for Tulsa week in week out, but, um, getting to see him take that step up. And uh, like you said, Robbie, like it's not going to show up for Ika and player, what they're, what effect they're having on the game. If you're just coming in after the game and, and saying how many sacks do they have, things like that. But when you just talk about guys that are that size that move that well, that's not something that this conference has seen a ton of the last decade along the defensive line. It's good to have that talent back. And then you just have like, like we're going to talk about whenever we get to Oklahoma, Dave Aranda and linebackers, like there, it doesn't matter how many guys they lose, anything like that. They're always going to have guys that can step up, going to be well coached and be ready to, to take advantage of that. So I think it's OSU Baylor um, head and shoulders above everybody else. And, and just for the, the pass rush specifically, I'll, I'll nose the Cowboys in front and, and take the Bears second. Yeah, for me, Oklahoma State was my number two. And I think if you put this, if you have any other team in your top two, I just don't think it's it's correct. I think these two stand above the rest when it comes. And we saw it last year. But, I mean, I want to talk about Colin Oliver a bit. I mean, I mean, for how young he is, for what he's going to do in, in this conference this year is going to be spectacular. And, I mean, the way they can get to the quarterback, they've shown it last year and they're returning the two top sack people. So it's just incredible what they can do. Uh, and we talked to Mike Gundy at Big 12 Media Days and had him on during spring camp. And he's he likes what Derek Mason has done so far. And basically he said to us that they're going to run what Jim Knowles did. I mean, like he, he knows exactly what they're going to do. They know that it works and they have a lot of those key players down there. So for me, I don't see Oklahoma State's defense dipping too much there's a lot of uncertainty in positions besides the defensive line for me but for that I mean you mentioned it earlier too with the offensive line play in the league this year there's only like two or three that I'm confident about the rest of the league I'm not so I think that that group is going to be explosive and I wouldn't be surprised if they make it to the big 12 championship game again so you mentioned with Mason Gundy, he's basically treating the defense the same way they treat the offense. There's the Oklahoma State offense. If you're going to come be the OC, you're going to run it and add your own touches to it. There's the now the Oklahoma State defense, which if you're going to come in and, and coach defense in, at Oklahoma State, you're going to run their defense and just add your own flares to it. So I'll be, I'll be curious to see what, what Derek Mason's flares are to OSU's uh, defensive scheme, but it's not going to change overall. Uh, yeah, I mean, we all have OSU or Baylor number one, number two. That's nothing too surprising. I think Baylor's got the best interior defensive line in the Big 12 because you are, you are three deep with guys that would start anywhere else in the Big 12 and at pretty much just about every other Power 5 program except maybe Alabama and Georgia with what you've got at Siaki Ika, what you've got at Jackson player transferring in and at Gabe Hall. I think those three are fantastic. I think the linebacker, you're right, Dylan Doyle should be really impressive. Like he's no Terrell Bernard, but he's still going to be soft. I, honestly, the weakness to me of the of the pass rush for Baylor and why I give OSU the edge is a defensive end. Like I just don't like TJ Franklin is going to be solid. And again, we're not talking about uh, Cole Maxwell, as you mentioned, like we're not talking about Again, one, two, it's one A, one B. If you were to actually rank these nationally, everyone I've seen has them like eight, nine, seven, eight, like right next to each other. Um, and it's just a matter of what do you what do you put more value on? Is it is what you can expect at linebacker from Baylor? I expect it to be successful. I expect them to be good there. I do think you'll see a little bit of a dip. I I, I don't 
look, <laughs> Terrell Bernard was ridiculous. Oh, by the way, Jalen Petrie was all is also gone, who mm-hmm. was a freaking monster all over the field for them as well. So I do see that they might take a slight slip back, but we're still talking about two of probably the 10 best defensive line units and pass rushes in the country at one and two. And they're in the big 12. So I don't want to hear anything about big 12. Don't play no defense nonsense. You can, Amen. anybody says that I'm immediately going to mute the game and go find the radio broadcast of one of the two teams and listen instead. Cause I don't, I don't have time for you who hasn't paid attention to the big 12 since it was 2015. And, and suddenly you're told that you need to go call a game. Like, so you're preaching here because I've been thinking about starting a movement because th- I can't believe how many like national people will have on our show. And they're like, Oh, well the big 12, you know, they just kind of throw it around. It's like, that's not very true. And also I think the quarterback play in this league has gotten a little bit worse. So I don't think that's true. And I think we have the innovators of what will stop the, the offenses that, you know, used to dominate this league. I think John Haycock changed a lot of what happens in college football in this league. So anyone who says that I just immediately stop them, put a dunce camp on their head and then laugh at them. That's what you need to do. The big 12 is the conference of innovation and everybody just steals what the big 12 does. And then the big 12 moves on to innovate the next best thing to, uh, to counter what everybody else is now doing that they did a decade before. That's how I, that's how I view it. We may not have the best recruiting, but we've got the biggest brains. So, you know, damn right. Take, Take that, that Stanford. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Hey, you know, if, if they if they'd like a new home. Um, okay, Ryan, moving on down to number three, who do you have? Yeah, so this next group, the next three teams, I find it really hard to pick through and separate those three. So what I ended up going with for three is picking the best pass rusher out of this crop. So I think the talent as a whole is going to be pretty similar, which lands you with Felix and Duque was, was my case day. So g- give me the Wildcats, Chris Kleiman. What they've done, I, the thing I've been really impressed too is every year that team seems to get more and more physical under Kleiman, which I didn't think was a possibility with what Snyder and K-State was, you know what I mean? And, and he's just come in. The recruiting has gotten subtly a lot better at, at K-State, and they're, they're a full built-out defensive line. I know they're going to have to replace some guys, but when you've got the you know preseason Big 12 player of the year defensively coming in, when you've got a guy that can just put up 11 sacks and have just a ton of other tackles in the backfield. Like he was just a menace last year. That's going to help everyone else kind of come along when there's so much uh, attention being paid to one side of the line. So give me the Wildcats K state at three. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in lockstep here. I think, I mean, you hit on him there, but for me, I put a ranking of the top 20 players in the league this year. King Felix is number three for me. I think he is excellent. I think he's going to make a huge jump. I wouldn't be surprised if he's, if he's, a first round NFL draft pick the time enters the draft. I think he's excellent. He does nuts. I mean, 11 sacks last year. I mean, he's very, very good. And it helps that his defensive line is also great. You have Eli Huggins, one of the the players I'm looking forward to the most watching this year, because I've just heard so much buzz about him is Khalid Duke. I've heard so much about this guy from a lot of people. Every time I post something on Twitter, K-State fans are like, well, you got to look for this guy. Got to look for this guy. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And then you have Daniel Green, who last year uh, had 13 tackles for loss and three sacks. So that's someone I'm also adding to the pass rushing ability. I like Kansas State a lot. And also uh, behind the scenes, we have uh, Felix on the show today. So I'm very looking f- I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, that young man because I think he has the ability. I vote him for defensive player of the year in the conference. So. Uh, yeah, I love what K-State does. And can we just stop saying K-State is the under-the-radar team in the league? If everyone says it, they're not under the radar anymore. 
So just, they're just good. They're just really good. You can't be the dark horse if literally everyone's like, this is my dark. Wait, no, 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 no. Everyone's acknowledging you're good. Yeah. Find a new pick. Find find someone else. Pick TCU. Pick West Virginia. That Kansas State's off limits now. That is literally what I said in the intro of last week's podcast. Like, they're not a dark horse anymore. When everyone's high on them. We ran a Twitter poll, like, who's the dark horse in the Big 12? And Kansas State won it with 73% of the vote of like 2,200 people. Like, you're not a dark horse anymore. You're a contender for the Big 12 title. And it's okay if that contender list is four or five teams deep. Like, that just is what it is in the Big 12 this year. I know you mm-hmm. want to say, well, they, the fourth or fifth, that's just the Big 12 being wide open. Dark horse has to be somebody that's like, a lot of things have to click right. They could, but we need to see that happen. So like, you want to talk about West Virginia or TCU? That's fine. It's a dark horse. Kansas State's not a dark horse. Um, we have a consensus at number three here. Like I said, I I know you have them as a separate group, Ryan, below the first two. I think the Kansas State is closer to OSU and Baylor than you do. I, I do think it's a 1ABC situation here because of what they have. Eli Huggins, I'm with you. Like the buzz around him, he could end up as one of the the best, as the maybe the best nose guard in the Big 12. Like that's going to be... That's, that's going to be a big, big, big ask. But I think the potential is there. Your defensive ends, I mean, come on. Anaduke Ozoma, he, he is, he's probably going to be, I'm going to say it. I think he's the highest drafted Big 12 player when he is draft eligible. Like when he decides to go, I think he's the first, the, the first Big 12 player off the board. Now, I, there's a bunch of guys at Baylor who could contend for that. I think he's that good. And I think he's legitimate defensive player that you're candidate as well. You get two linebackers in Daniel Green and Kalani Duke that, man, I'm not sure there's a better pass rushing linebacking duo in the Big 12. Like, I think this is this is this year's Devin Harper, Malcolm Rodriguez. It's at Kansas State. I think it's those two. So you put all of that together. It doesn't have the defensive in unit that Oklahoma State has. It doesn't have the interior defensive line unit that Baylor has, but I think it has the best linebacking group of those three schools, which is why I get them and put them so close to the other two, which is why I just have them at one C. So again, I, they're third in this ranking, but I think one, two, three, those three, those three pass rushes are going to be a ton of fun. It's why I think that the, like I know I preseason picked Oklahoma to first in the big 12, I think because of just the talent overall, but I do think the other team that is in the Big 12 title game is going to come from one of these three teams just because of that pass rush they have and how lethal it's going to be in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, I I just don't think outside of that, you've got another team that has a position group, like offense or defense, that they can lean on and say, we're going to get this level of production at it. Like there there are no other more sure things than the three defensive line pass rushes that we've talked about. I would put Texas's receiving core with who, because when we say receiving core, we include running backs. Well, so who, it's, do are we sure that they're going to be able to get the ball? Like we've got a guy that is terrible in Hudson Card and someone that's thrown no passes. We're just talking a unit. You, know I mean? you didn't, you didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. I like I realized, but on its own on an island, that unit is really, really, really stinking good. Well, the problem is that that's the one unit on the field that is totally relying on somebody else. You know what I mean? Fair, fair, very, very, very fair. Okay. Well, I mean, quarterback is technically relying on the offensive line to keep them off their ass. So, you know, that another glaring weakness in Austin. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Ryan, number four, who do you have? Yeah. So at four, I've got the team that I cover, Oklahoma. Um, they lose a lot. They do lose a lot in Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito. I actually don't think losing Perry on Winfrey is going to be that big of a deal. Uh, if you watched Oklahoma 
Here, didn't really suit what he did, but Perrin also just checked out mentally of like half of those games. I had to ask at halftime in Lawrence if Perrin was even playing when I was on the field, but like that. So I don't think that's going to be a huge thing. The best interior defensive lineman Oklahoma has is coming back in Jalen Redmond. If he can stay healthy all year long, that's always been the big if for him. Then he's going to have that kind of production. You've got Jeffrey Johnson coming in from Tulane, a guy that's shown he has the ability to wreck shop a little bit. He's going to have to find that consistency. Then you've just got a big rotation on the end. Uh, between Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs, Jonah Olu coming in from Hawaii. Uh, David Aguebu should be a guy that steps up as a pass rushing linebacker. He's finally like dropped the weight to play middle linebacker. So I think that he'll be someone coming off the edge. And, and here's the most important addition for Oklahoma. It's Todd Bates. He's a guy that throughout his career, he's never not had an all-conference defensive lineman under him. That's something that Oklahoma has been lacking, like as far as a legit guy like that who can really develop the talent so I think that when you just take the totality of the talent they had in the room that was not really being coached to the level it should have been I think they'll take enough of a step forward um, and the questions on that defense will kind of be elsewhere as they're kind of making the transition under Brent Venables yeah uh, my number four is not Oklahoma uh, once once Philip told me that Ryan uh, was kind of an OU guy or by that area I went oh god because I don't think you'll like my rankings as much. They're not too far down, but uh, we'll, we'll get to them in a bit. But my number four is Iowa State, just because I think they arguably have one of the best defensive players in the league, and that's Will McDonald. You can put him or uh, Felix on your DK Uzama. Pick your, pick your poison. Uh, I think they're both excellent. He's the best. I mean, he has the most sacks in Iowa State history. Last year, he had 11 and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for loss. I mean, they lose a lot of players on that defense, so that's my biggest worry. Do I just put blind faith in Matt Campbell that that defense will have good players? Sure, but I think that if you have the best player or arguably the best player on your defensive line, that will be great as well. We talked to all Ryan Vance at Big 12 Media Day, who obviously plays linebacker for them, but he was another huge, huge dude, and they had a lot of good things to say about that defense there. You got Isaiah Lee Jr., you got Junior Singleton, a lot of unproven talent there, but I'm just going to go with, you know, you have arguably the best defensive coordinator in the league and you have Will McDonald Jr. So going with Iowa State as my number 14. Okay. Um, so at number four, I, I, one, two, three, as I mentioned, was one ABC. Four and five are pretty close. And the difference between four and five for me, and we'll talk about five in a minute, is I picked unit over player. I like Oklahoma at number four, and I like what they have as an overall unit and the depth of their pass rush better than I liked an individual player and what he had around him at number five. So number four, as you mentioned, Ryan, Jalen Redmond, like I think Jalen Redmond is is the most underrated defensive lineman in the Big 12 for how good he should be, and yet he gets very little buzz whatsoever. Uh, I believe if I remember correctly, he was a second teamer for, uh, he was second teamer for Athlon, third teamer for uh, Phil Steele, who does a smaller defensive line unit than others. Some people put more defensive line, and Steele just does uh, four. Um, I like Reggie Grimes. I kind of like Deshaun White at linebacker, which I think is a nice piece for them there, because I do think linebackers involved. I love the additions of Jeffrey Johnson at nose tackle uh, at a two lane. And I love the addition of uh, Jonah. I'm going to say Lua Lua Lua. I'm going to mispronounce it. That's okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to get pronunciations down before the start of the season. Forgive me, everybody. Okay. It's a, it's a tough one. There's uh, too many, too many vowels. Yeah. <laughs> There's not supposed to be that many uh, from Hawaii. Like I think OU's depth, despite what they lost, what they brought in, 
has has helped to bolster a unit that had I mean just you you use the porter well like oh you use the porter really well to bolster this unit so a unit as a whole I'm not sure I think Jalen Redmond would probably be the best player on this defensive line unit I don't think it has the individual highs that a couple other teams will have later on but I think as an overall like I'm really high because this was a really good pass rush last year like I think you talked we everyone talked about OSU and Baylor and I think Oklahoma was right there with them. And so I know, again, you lost a lot off this unit, but as an overall collection, I think this is still going to be one of the better pass rushes in the Big 12. So I've got them at four. Yeah. I, the other guy we didn't mention from Oklahoma is the true freshman, Jaron Canick. We don't really know how he's going to be used as far as is he going to get slid into their kind of nickel outside linebacker hybrid I'm all in by just renaming this give me all of that especially when you give me just fast animals but uh he's he's I think the biggest if he can come in and contribute that's a huge upswing guy for for Oklahoma outside of just like Jalen Redmond being healthy very good all right well Ryan uh number five who do you have yeah it's Iowa State for me right behind with Will McDonald I don't have the faith in uh Matt Campbell that you have I think that Matt Campbell uh is correctly rated for doing what he did getting Iowa state here. And that last year is a huge indictment on a lot of what's happening, just as far as having all the expectation, just frankly being really mediocre, but what they've done defensively, you can't deny. And uh, really my only, it's funny because this is an asset to the Iowa state defense, but a negative, if you're just talking about the pass rush is that they don't really pin their ears back a whole lot and really come after you because they, they can just sit back there and play in that umbrella. So if you can lock down Will McDonald, which is not the easiest thing in the world to do whatsoever, um, then you kind of have a little bit of a chance, not because they're they're just going to be in your face, obliterating you, but you're just like, okay, now I have to sit back here and pick apart this defense, which is very, really tough. So that's the like slight ding I give them again, when we're just talking pass rushers, not defensive line, anything like that, but just when it comes to the pass rush element, that's why I had Iowa state just a hair behind Oklahoma, just because Brent middle is going to blitz like a madman. Oh boy. Now I'm, I'm feeling, feeling insecure now that I have Oklahoma a little bit lower because I do not have them at my five spot. I have West Virginia um, coming back and just uh, the main reason why I have them head from Oklahoma is I just kind of know more what I have at West Virginia. Oklahoma lost a lot of good talent on that. And when you look at what exactly is coming back, I think their, their leading sack getter was Jalen Redmond with three and a half. I, I, I just don't, I can't put a lot of faith into that yet. I That is the group that I think that will make me the most wrong by the time it comes around, just because, I mean, Brent Venables is arguably the best defensive mind in college football. But for West Virginia, I mean, Dante Sills Jr., I think he is arguably a top five defensive player in the league. I mean, he had seven, seven sacks last year. I mean, they return a lot of good talents there as well, um, Jared Bartlett. And I just think this is a team – They've shown consistency on the defensive side. You know, Neil Brown is supposed to be this offensive mind, but their defense is really what has carried them since he's taken over. I like that group a lot. And I, I just seeing Dante Stills in person, he is massive. When it came to the top three people I saw at media days, he was just a, a freak. And so I like that group a lot and uh, putting more faith into Dante Stills than Oklahoma right now, just because he's proven and, no one at Oklahoma yet has technically proven it yet with their production. Ryan, I think we just copied each other's homework. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> well, we, we sent each other our lists beforehand. Yes. Yeah. Right. We, sorry, Robbie. Uh, I forgot to DM you that. Um, 
Yeah, I have Iowa State at five. And as I mentioned, the difference for me between four and five was I liked one unit overall better than I liked one individual player. Because it's it, you're not going to argue against Will McDonald like as a defensive end just being an absolutely disruptive pain in the ass if you have to play him. As as somebody just watching him on a, on any given week where he's not playing my Oklahoma State Cowboys, like, man, you're fun to watch. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Go go terrorize and tear it up. But when you're playing my team, like, I want nothing to do with you. Please. Like, I would never want somebody to get injured, but <coughs> oh, flu got him this week. How terrible. Uh, Will McDonald is an absolute monster and a freak and, is, and elevates this whole entire defensive line. If he had not come back this year, like, I... I I'm fine with trust Matt Campbell. He alone brings them up to five. Cause other than that, like they'd probably be in the bottom three of the conferences because you talk about what we don't know about Iowa state. Like I am high on Orion Vance too. Like I had him as a first teamer over, <laughs> over Sean. Uh, I think he's going to have a really nice bounce back year. I think that's big for them. I think Isaiah Lee at nose tackle should be solid for Iowa state. And I do, it's, it's kind of a, a faith in Iowa state on defense more than like a faith in, individual players because i do think they have so much to replace from last year so i am putting some faith in them but that's how much will mcdonald is worth on this defense is that he props them all the way up to fifth on a unit that i would probably put closer to seventh or eighth if he had not come back this year yeah for sure I, he, he's that dude yeah it's just good that dudes there's you got guys you got dudes he is a and then you got monsters and i think he's more of a monster even what when's the last time Iowa State which the correct answer is never like when we just talk about like the Bruce Feldman freaks list like that's usually reserved for uh teams that can recruit and can't develop talent you're just like look at this athlete they can't do anything with and you've got I, like we're going to Ames for a top five freaks list guy like it's just a huge 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 feather in the cap of what Campbell's done yeah no no opinions whatever on Campbell like the dude knows what he's doing the dude knows how to coach and that staff sticks around for a reason like i Staff retention it should be a, a higher on the uh, on the how good of a coach are you? Uh, now, granted, you know returning production is only good if it's good. Returning coaching staff is only good if it's good too. But Iowa State's got a good one. Okay, Ryan, number six, who do you got? That's where I slotted Mister Stills and his Mountaineers. Uh, you mentioned all the production on the field. The, the guy who actually really sold me on this defense this year was Neil Brown at big 12 media day. Cause I know that was a question he fielded a couple of times. And when, when you go through enough of the media day stuff, you can kind of tell when this coach is putting on his happy face and he's like, this is the time to pump up the program when the press conference, all that stuff. And when the coach is looking at you and just going, no, like these dudes are going to be legit. And when Neil Brown looked over and was like, yeah, no, I really believe that this is going to be the best defense. A lot of that starts with the front seven that they've put out that I, like that was just a little bit different. So I'm excited to see what they can do as far as keeping that developed because it's been like, okay, they've been awesome in Morgantown and it hasn't often traveled the last couple of years under Neil Brown. Let's see what stills, if he can throttle it forward. Cause really the only down season he's even had since he arrived at West Virginia was the COVID season and, and everything was so weird in Morgantown with games getting moved around and all that stuff. It's, it's hard to hold that against anyone. Yeah. Number six here. This is where I finally have Oklahoma. And for me, it's just, they lose a lot, and I've, I, I talk about they lose a lot, but I just don't know who exactly is going to merge yet. And that's fine because I think this is a team that by the end of it could be top four type of defense in the league. And, uh, I mean, they lose Nick Benito. They lose Brian Osamoa. They lose Isaiah Thomas, Perry and Winfrey, all elite type of NFL players that they, they get. And when it comes to the returning, Jalen Redmond, I talked about, three and a half sacks, four and a half tackles for loss. He leads the team. 
Second behind them is Reggie Grimes with only two sacks. So for me, this is a wait and see, but I just trust what exactly Brent Venables is doing. And honestly, I don't, there's a lot of narrative about Jerry Schmidt and it's great because a lot of people talk about what the job he does. And then today I saw photos of the players before Jerry Schmidt and then after Holy Christ. I mean, like a lot of these players are just absolutely jacked. Um, so that is something that will probably bite me in the butt. Uh, but I mean, there's there's a lot to be positive about for Oklahoma this year, but it's strange that a team with only their punter on the Big 12 all team is number one in the league. And it, it's it were not not number one, but number two. But like most people, when you count the the rankings, Oklahoma is on most teams or most publications first so very interesting team i think the most intriguing team in the league this year just because of all the turnover but i mean i just i just trust brent venables and what's going on there okay i want to ask you guys this because we've i've talked about this on the show a few times we get in in the postseason we get a first team and a second team in preseason we only get a first team my my belief is if oh if the big 12 would put out a preseason first and second team that if you had added all those players up, Oklahoma would have been near the top of actual players who preseason are predicted to be really good. And I think it's just because you had so many other individual guys on other teams that you felt so good about that a lot of Oklahoma players got pushed to the side. Had you had a second team, I think there would have been a lot of Oklahoma on that, and it would have evened up with the the Kansas States uh, of, of the Big 12. Well, I, I think it's just, honestly, there's a ton of turnover. And there's a lot of like guys that you feel 90% about, but when you've got only got, so when you talk about wide receivers, Marvin Mims, probably the fourth or fifth guy on a lot of people's ballots, but because like, if you watched Oklahoma a lot last year, he was only throwing the ball in the first half, basically, then he didn't get the the same chance of production as everybody else. You talk about defensive line, Jalen Redmond. He's missed a ton of time. Like last year, he had a meniscus tear. So he missed like the middle of the season and he's still one of the more productive guys coming back. Is that good enough to be over the the five or six guys we've talked about? No, right? So I think that Oklahoma State's defensive line, like you would have had all the rest of those guys on the second team plus like Redmond, stuff like that. I think it's just a case of for Oklahoma, the weird thing was every time you went head-to-head, there was enough of a question to be like, okay, let's go ahead and put someone else on the first team. And then by the end of the year, everyone will be like, we'll, we'll make up for it on the back end if you are what you think you're going to be. Yeah, and based on that media poll, this has nothing to do with pass rushers. I want to – who voted for Spencer Sanders? I had Dylan Gabriel for mine, and it's like I understand he was the Big 12 quarterback of the league last year. I don't think you can say he is the most talented one this entire year. And I think weapons-wise, I, I don't think he has the most. I have Dylan Gabriel was mine. So for those people, I think those people were a little scared. I think they should have just voted Dylan Gabriel because we know what he does and he has the talent. Spencer Sanders obviously gets the benefit of the doubt, but that was one I was – shock that didn't go Oklahoma's way I also think it's when we don't know how many votes somebody got the difference between Spencer Sanders and the second guy could have been one vote so right. it feels like because you only put out one list it's like that's how much better everybody is than everybody else and it's like no it's like there's only like what two unanimous players on the list this year right I think there's usually more than that and I think that just speaks to how how many players got included and it's just that these ones won out and that's why I said like this would have been the year I would have been intrigued by the second team just to see if how close were other teams to get more players <clears throat> how close was second team quarterback to first team like I think I think it's really wide open and so you end up with the safe pick in Spencer Sanders at quarterback because that's who was first team last year that's the one guy who comes back you feel the most 
it's the most you know the most is over you know predicting other guys that you just you don't know as well okay sorry side tangent um all right i'm i can't believe i did this and the more let me put it this way just like one, two, and three were grouping, four and five were grouping, six and seven were grouping. And I cannot believe I have this team at number six because I really did not think I would have them this high coming into it. But I actually have Texas. And it's another situation of I like the collection of parts better than I like the individual player of who is going to be at number seven. <clears throat> I like, and as a pass rush, I like Alfred Collins at defensive end better than who I like at defensive end. <clears throat> Sorry. For the team that's going to be below them. So I really like Alfred Collins. I think Demarion Overshone is going to be probably the best. Well, not I didn't even have him on first team. He's going to be one of the best linebackers in the Big 12 easily. And I like what linebacker does. Keandre Coburn, um, Mojo Ojo, Moro Ojomo. Like, I think I like this unit as a whole. I When your best player is a linebacker, that's probably as far as your pass rush goes. I'm not sure that's the best thing. But again, kind of like OU versus Iowa State, my situation with Texas over who I have below them is I like this unit as, a, as an overall unit better than I like the one guy I know the most about in the team that's right below them. So I've got Texas here. I really kind of, I know that things can always be worse, but I have a hard time thinking like Texas defense will not get a little bit better this year. And I do think even though the defensive line is a weakness for this defense, I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was, especially in the pass rush. We'll see about run blocking, but as far as a pass rush unit, I do think it would be better than it was last year. Well, you think you're shocked at what you just rolled out. I'm stunned that I have this next team this high. But let the good vibes roll in Lubbock. Give me the Red Raiders. Give me Tyree Wilson. I want all the Tyree Wilson stock. I don't think there's a ton of it left based off how he finished last year. But I want all of it. And this, and this is the – I'll take Tyree Wilson over anyone on the Texas defense and maybe anyone on the Texas offensive line too. Like save their skill positions. Uh, I think Tyree Wilson's that good. And he's just buried at a spot that's just refused to, to play defense for the last decade. So uh, seven sacks last year. I think he was just scratching the surface of what he can be. Get DeRuiter in there. And, and I think that there's just going to be some basic stuff that's been missed the last couple of years from the Red Raiders as far as what they're doing technique wise. And as a whole, they've got some other guys too. But Tyree Wilson for me is the whole reason that Texas Tech is here and finally off one of those bottom rungs defensively in the Big 12. You're not crazy. You're not crazy at all because Texas Tech is my seventh team as well. When I saw Tyree Wilson at Big 12 Media Days, an expletive came out. Oh, my God. <laughs> Blank. He is a massive human being, 6'6", 270. He was by far the most impressive person I saw the entire two days there. He was he was massive. He got all of our host's attention like, okay, that guy – He's, he's a problem. And then you look at Dane Brugler, who does his NFL, you know, classes and like where he ranks him for his edge class for this upcoming draft. Tyree Wilson was number four. Uh, that, I mean, that's just incredible. The fact that he's that high up and I don't think he's a person in the league that is necessarily talked about as a top five type of player, but he's got, he's got some juice. So I love him on that defense there. You have Jalen Hutchings as well. Uh, who had three and a half sacks last year. And I, I just like this defense. I like it. I like it a lot. But those two are, I think, excellent. But Tyree Wilson could sneak up and maybe lead the league in sacks this year. I think he has that that type of ability and that physical traits to do it. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of juice in Lubbock. Joey, Joe, by, once again, Joey McGuire, 
when he was hired, I was like, I don't know about this guy because, you know, Matt Wells, he had a good roster. I mean, they, they were on track to go to bowl game and they did like the, he, he built something there, but once I shook Joey McGuire's hand, I was like, okay, I get it. And now you can see what that fan base has done to like gal- He galvanized that whole like entire city, entire campus to go with him. I I'm buying a lot of stock for Texas tech when it comes to the long-term play this year, not very high, but I, I love what they have there. All right, I'll get to Tech in a bit since you guys are both hot on them. I have West Virginia here, um, as I mentioned, unit versus individual guy. Now, I really do like the interior of West Virginia's defensive line. I don't know what else there is to say about, about Dante Stills. Like, I, like that hasn't been said by everybody else already. I mean, first team, big all Big 12, Athlon, Phil Steele, uh, Joe Broback, which is one of ours that we use. Um, and I, I like Jordan Jefferson. I do think that he is going to be a solid piece on that defensive line unit. Outside of that, like... We'll see how Taj Alston does. The guy I'm I'm sneaky interested in is Jared Bartlett, which is kind of their like defensive and linebacker guy that isn't getting talked about a lot. I am really intrigued to see what he does this year. I think he could end up being that guy for them who's the the sneaky, interesting sack weapon. Um, so I'm very intrigued by him. But as far as the rest of this pass rush, like, okay, I'm really good with the interior of this defensive line, but the interior of the defensive line isn't the unit that's going to get the most sacks and get after the quarterback the most. So while I really like it, I don't feel as good of a pa- as a pass rush unit as I did Texas as an overall unit. Because look, I, I want to feel good about your defensive ends. Like I've got to feel good about them if I'm going to do um, rate you high as a pass rush. And I feel better about Texas's than West Virginia's. So I've got West Virginia here. That doesn't mean I'm not high on them. I think this will be the better... This will be the best unit on West Virginia's defense, which I'm not high on that secondary. So we'll see. I hope West Virginia can score this year because they may have to outscore opponents this year as opposed to being able to rely on the defense like they have in the past. But I'm 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 high on the West Virginia defensive line. I, I you know, it's funny we're gonna do this one through ten, and I almost hate ranking things and, and next year we may do this in tiers because I think that's a better representation of, of how this works. Because obviously I'll get you know one, two, three, and then four, five, six, seven. Yeah, OSU and Baylor are far and above everybody else. But I don't think even as we go down this list, it is as wide of a gap from one through eight, nine as it is in other other position groups in the Big Twelve where there are huge gaps between like one and ten. I actually think this one through ten is the closest of any position group there is in the Big Twelve is the pass rush. Yeah, it was a big headache for me trying to sift through three through seven <laughs> and being like, where do we this versus that? What do we do there? Eight, nine, ten was a lot easier for me. I so think it was like. I think that it was easiest. Yeah. (laughs) One and two, boom, three through seven, big gap. I've got Texas at eight and then big gap. uh, The other two, Uh, I was a believer in PK coming over from Washington. I was very concerned what I saw last year, especially in the second half of games for Texas, because it really felt like, like you go back to Oklahoma and Oklahoma state, those two games that happened pretty close together for Texas. And when they were getting stops in the first half, it felt more like, uh, Oklahoma state's offensive line and Oklahoma's offensive line, just not picking up what, what was like, it was mental mistakes by then that really blew up a, a couple of drives. And then obviously both teams were able to come on back and figure it out and get things sorted in the second half. Like they've got pieces with Overshaw and Cobra and guys like that, that I, I like individually, but altogether I, there's something with this defense that just isn't making sense right now. And I'm not sure that one year, was enough to kind of get that forward. I think that's more of a structural thing, something that uh, Kwiatkowski and Sartre had to kind of take over, which is the same problems that Charlie Strong took over and the same problems that 
Um, Tom Herman took over, which is just, you don't have a ton of tough guys down there in the trenches. And I don't know how you change that overnight without bringing in a ton of new bodies. And, and that's not an area that Texas targeted as far as a bunch of like different transfers or guys that are to come in and, and contribute early on. So I've got Texas kind of uh, in their own little tier down here at eight. Yep. I'm with Texas too, as well. Last year they had 13, 13 sacks, which was seventh in the conference and they lost their sack leader in Ben Davis with two and a half. I mean, that just kind of shows how bad they were at getting to the quarterback last year. I mean, that defense was hard to watch. I mean, they they gave up so many points. And this year, I think there is more consistency, like what Philip talked about. You have more Jomo, you have Keandre Coburn, you have Ovia Gofo. Uh, our host, Dusty Dvorak, he's very high on uh, Coburn a lot. So he thinks that he's going to be a major player this year uh, and a player that may rise up the ranks. But for this I'm not, I'm not too high on this, this defense as well, especially their pass rushers. Yes, there's consistency. Yes, they have returning talent that has been there, but did they even produce at all to begin with? So this is a team that I think will take a big step just because it is year two in that defense. But I, I, I don't think Texas's defense is going to be something at the end of the year that we're going to say is a top five defense. I still think they're among some of the worst in the, in the conference. So I am with Texas. This is where I have Texas Tech, one spot behind both of you. And look, I don't know what else there is to say about Tyree Wilson. I'm just not as high on the rest of the unit as you guys are. And so I think Tyree Wilson is going to be awesome. But I don't know how to feel about everybody else on Texas Tech's defensive line. Like Jalen Hutchings could be solid. Um, I don't feel great about their their linebackers. Like I know Krishan Merriweather should be solid, but like PFF does not have him graded highly and as a pass rusher. Um, Texas Tech's Texas defensive line as a unit has not been great the past few years, so much so that they had these incredibly talented linebacking groups for two straight years who didn't look very good because they were having to cover up for a bad defensive line. So it's great that they're going to have a great pass rusher as an individual, but like, how much can I rely on the rest of that line to allow him to be effective, just like they couldn't allow the linebackers to be effective as well? Like, I think he's good enough. It doesn't matter what the rest of the defensive line does. He's going to get his. He's going to get his sacks. He's going to get his tackles for loss in the backfield. But outside of that, I'm not, I, I still don't have a lot of confidence in this defensive line. And you lose that really talented linebacking core. And the one best one I think you bring back in Merriweather doesn't have a great pass rush grade. And I think that's because they haven't had great defensive line play. So maybe if the defensive line as a unit as a whole takes a step forward and is better this year, that, then this, that this is a unit that would rise up significantly. But even with just as a pass rush and even as good as your one guy is going to be, I just, I don't feel good about this, the rest of this defensive line. Like Wilson's going to be awesome, but you're going to have to show me something from the rest of these guys to convince me that this unit as a whole is going to be better than bottom three. Well, yeah, agreed. Yeah. They're going to have to undo a a decade of just refusing to play defense or just not doing it, coaching it well, doing well. I don't, I, I, there's a lot of reasons they haven't done well. Part of it's a lack of development. Part of it's a lack of recruiting. Sometimes it's, I don't think they put defensive schemes that matched well with what they wanted to do on offense. And so I just, we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm, I'm not as high on the defensive co- uh, defensive coordinator hires. Everybody else is. I know he's really experienced, but I, I think it's one of those you're getting somebody. There's a reason Texas tech is able to pick him up here. And maybe he helps a, a guy who has never been a head coach at the collegiate level before kind of learn some of the things that need to be done but I don't think that necessarily guarantees he's going to be as good a defensive coordinator as he has in the past. I think he's on the backwards slide, but we'll see. Uh, Okay. 
Ryan, number nine, bottom two for us. I I'm, I feel like we're going to have another uh, uh, consensus here. So let's say it, it, we've all got the unanimous bottom two, it looks like, TCU and Kansas. So I'll just uh, separate the two of them now. Um, this was one of the hardest things for me. Uh, uh, as we've kind of been prepping, I've flip-flopped this a couple of times, weirdly enough, more than like the top of the list. But here's what I ended up at. I really, really like Lance Leopold and the staff. I really do. I, I think that they're doing a lot of good work, but they just don't have the caliber of players that Gary Patterson had left behind. And so I'm going to give TCU the edge just because they'll have better personnel, even though I think Kansas will still be better coach. Maybe by the end of the year, that coaching can kind of catch up. It's just been such a long haul back that we all know about for Kansas to just fill out the roster, much less kind of be able to compete. Um, on the field. So I'll nose TCU in front of Kansas just because of what Gary Patterson left behind. Uh, though by the end of this year, I think that Leopold will be making some gains and uh, Sonny Dykes will have to uh, really scratch his head and think about what to do with that defense. Yep. Um, I'm right here as well. TCU is number nine for me. And so we had Travis Hodges Thomason on our show who isn't in this pass rusher, but he, he said something that just like made me laugh out loud. Do you know that clip online of like a peewee football player being like, it's, it wasn't us. It was the coaches. It was the coaches who, who let us fail. Okay. Well, he came, he basically came on and he was like, we have oh, so much talent on this defense. And last year we were put in no situation to succeed by any of our coaches, basically just like putting gasoline on Gary Patterson and throwing a match on him being like, okay, you, you were the reason we didn't succeed. And I think this is a defense that may be rising up. I like Dylan Horton a lot. He was number 16 on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Uh, last year, he had four sacks and 6'4", 279. He has some incredible you know, physical traits as well. But this is not a, 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 a line that is necessarily that strong. If O'Shawn Mathis was still there, I think this would be definitely higher on our list as well. Uh, sad that he he's not there, but this is just a lot of unproven talent there. And, you know, this is something we're going to have to watch throughout the year, but that quote by, by Travis, I just keep on thinking that I'm like, okay, is this really going to be as bad as we think that they don't have Gary Patterson? Like, and everything I'm hearing out of TCU camp is like, I know that every time there's a new coach, it's like, Oh, it's so much better here. We're excited. It's fun. You could tell it was palpable. It was very palpable talking to those players. So this is not very high in comes to pass rush, but for a team that can rise up the defensive rankings, I think TCU is one to watch. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that last point is the key here with TCU is, can we have some addition by subtraction by not having the Gary Patterson mess at TCU anymore? And I love the hire on defensive coordinator, pulling in Tulsa's DC. Like he, uh, Tulsa's been producing some, some defensive talent who is, NFL caliber and going to the NFL and I think he's and I cannot believe I just forgot his name and I'm about to google it otherwise I'm gonna feel like an idiot sorry uh but like I I'm very high on him now and he they left as you mentioned plenty to work with like it's not like the cupboards bare here TCU was the third best recruiting program in the Big 12 the last few years even with all the stuff that has has left to do the NFL or due to transfer it's not like the coverage bear here. It's still one of the more talented rosters. Joe Gillespie, God, which drive me crazy till I yep. looked it up. Um, so yeah, TCU here is TCU here is at nine, and it's because there's not an individual player as good as what Texas Tech has or West Virginia or Texas. There's not a, a unit that we feel good about. But if there is one pass rush that I feel 
has the best shot to move up the most on those lists. And obviously, if you're at nine, you've got the most room ahead of you outside of 10th place Kansas. But I, I honest to goodness, if, if there is one unit I said, there's they they would be the biggest mover potentially because of, of just how much unknown it is TCU's pass rush. It it could be a lot better. Like, and I I, I agree here. Like what you get in, in Dylan Horton, I think he's going to be pretty solid. Uh, we'll see what the linebacking, you get D. Winters back at linebacker. Let's see what he looks like. Um, I think, what was it? Um, not a, not terrible pass rush. Actually, in all of the uh, the grading by PFF, like his pass rush was better than his rush defense uh, and was just right there with, with, uh, with coverage. So like, He's not a bad piece to have coming back. And again, how much of the defense last year was just Gary Patterson? And how much of it's going to be better because you're not dealing with the Gary Patterson mess? And I kind of think it's going to be better because you're not dealing with the Gary Patterson mess. There's a much better vibe in that program right now. It's a much better energy. Shoot, like it, people are going, you get to go and, and, and video practice. I mean, Unbelievable. I don't, I don't know what TCU is going to do now that everybody knows what plays they're going to run. So they're going to be really easy to defeat, but um, you know. I never understand the purpose of that. It's not like any other team is going to be like, oh, that's something we haven't seen. Every team in college runs the same thing. They just put it in different say. They say different words for it. I mean, like the fact that we have to treat them like like they have, it's like Area 51 and like we have to protect these things. Like there's aliens on campus. It's ridiculous. That's why like when those those uh, those journalists at Oklahoma went up and saw on the, on the top of the building, it's like, <laughs> yes do your job like journalism yes well it, i mean georgia just won a national championship last year with every practice being open so clearly that's a huge disadvantage maybe just recruit <laughs> like georgia <laughs> yeah. oh, oh oh okay all right thanks uh the, now we know what to do thank you ryan for bringing that to our attention <laughs> anytime uh okay so we've all got kansas last I guess let's move it this way. Instead of all just sitting here trashing Kansas because it's, it's what gets done a lot. Um, where are you high on Kansas's pass rush this year? I, I think that they actually had some nice production toward the end of the year at the interior last year. Granted, grading on a curve for Kansas. And that there were some moments, like you look at their last month of the season and it wasn't like they were a total walkover, right? And I think that came a lot of teams were actually having to show up and actually take care of business up front. And that that's how Kansas is able to kind of start getting off the field a little bit. So I think it's going to start from the inside out for the Kansas defensive line. And like I said, I think there's still a couple of years away from being able to kind of get off the bottom here, just talent wise. I think the development and coaching has really come along. I don't have much to say about this. They lose Kyron Johnson last year, six and a half sacks, their best player, just in general. Now he's in the NFL, got drafted. Uh, I don't, I'm putting my hands up here. I'll wait and see. I like Kenny Logan a whole lot. Uh, he's in my top 10 for best players in the entire conference. Um, I think he's excellent. And I think he's a good player, but in the past stretch, I don't know how important he's going to be. So putting my hands up, Kansas, show me what you got. I'll say this, you know, Kyron Johnson is gone, but they did a really good job in replacing him by bringing in Lonnie Phelps out of Miami of Ohio. And he, obviously you're coming in from a Mac school is going to be a learning curve there, but like, you did as good a job in replacing Kyron Johnson as you possibly could. Ryan's point is good. I think they got better. It is an experienced defensive line. You got a redshirt senior in, in Sam um, Sam Burt. You've got a junior in, in Keenan Caldwell. It's not. It is. It is going to be the worst pass rush in the Big Twelve. But like we said, this is the best unit in the Big 12, 1 through 10. I think it's the closest one through ten you'll find at any position. I don't think this will be worse 
a worse unit than it was for Kansas last year. In fact, I Agreed. think Kansas Agreed. upgraded on defense across the board with what they brought into the transfer portal. I don't think anybody did better in the transfer portal than Kansas did. And everybody who left was someone you're like, okay. And everybody they brought in was someone you went, okay, that's better than what they had. And so like I, this, the defense as a whole should increase. The defensive line, the pass rush might not be better. It might just be better because you actually had a full offseason to prepare your team with a really good coaching staff as opposed to coming in at the last second, not getting as much time with them. And if the progress we saw from the beginning of the season to the end of the season has continued through the summer and into this year, then this is a pass rush that will be better than it was last year. Again, you can't just replace Kyron Johnson, but I do think Lonnie Phelps, that is a name to know. I think he's going to be really good for them. I think it's a name we're going to be talking about a lot throughout the season for on this Kansas defensive roster. Two two quick questions, Sarah. Nerf gun to your head. Do they get the over two and a half wins? And if they do that, what Big 12 team are they most likely to beat? Uh, yes, I am on the over. I am all over the over. I absolutely think they're going to find a way to hit the over. Um, which Big 12 team? So let's see. That means they have to beat Duke and they have to beat Tennessee Tech. Um, hold on. I'm going to pull up. So here's their home games. They have we'll Iowa State at home, TCU okay. at home, Oklahoma State at home, Texas at home. Not great. And the teams I think that they could win, Texas Tech, West Virginia, they are on the road. So it's it's difficult for them. I am once I am on the over, but finding what team they're going to beat, I mean, I I have no idea. You got to circle November nineteenth. That's the big one. A demoralized Texas program. Oh yeah, that's right. All, I should have penciled in a win against Texas. After, I should have done that. After all the hype of all the season, when they hammer out another eight and four caliber campaign, it, that's that's everyone's going to throw their hands up, and no one's going to want to. The, the library will be rocking in Lawrence. <laughs> I, in my opinion. If the over is going to hit, they almost have to hit it in the first half of the season because the back half of that schedule is not friendly to them. At Baylor, Idle Week, OSU, at Texas Tech, Texas, and at Kansas State. I think for them to hit the over two and a half, it has to come in the first six games of the season. So that's Tennessee Tech, at West Virginia, at Houston, Duke, Iowa State, TCU. You get Duke, Iowa State, TCU in a row. I think you got to win against Tennessee Tech, not let losses at West Virginia and Houston beat you down, beat Duke, and then beat one of Iowa State or TCU. Um, do I think they can do that? And Iowa State fans and TCU fans are going to get real mad. TCU, you've done it before. Uh, in recent years, like, I think they can. And I think they have to because if they're going to hit the over, that's the most obvious spot for them to do it is one of those wins over Iowa State or TCU. Unless West Virginia in week two coming off a game against Pitt West Virginia just not good, and JT Daniels is not good, and that defense is lost as much as we think they did, and somehow Kansas goes in, on the road and starts 2-0. and But I think Iowa State or TCU are the two games I would circle as. Those are one of the ones they have to get if they're going to hit the over this year. Totally. Yeah, agreed. Uh, that's it. All right. You guys have been awesome. This was fantastic. Coming in here talking about Freaks List. Got stats to back stuff up you know this is also why i go last so i have to do the least amount of work it's just called work smarter not harder um guys you've been great robbie uh you do a wonderful job on sirius xm plug it all man plug whatever you want so the show i work on mostly is big 12 today sirius xm channel 375 from 3 to 5 p.m central you got dusty divorce tech you got gay biker sometimes holly Rowe make an appearance appearance it's a it's a really fun show with a lot of great people we give a lot of great insight 
then also there's Big 12 this morning with Ari Temkin and Dave Archer from 7 to 10 a.m. Central time. So tune in. You'll get a lot of great insight and analysis on the league. Well, once again, there's no there's no you know uh, network for the Big 12. So we are the network. So if you want any insight information, we are your go to. Let me just say, I am a big fan of Ari and Dave and the morning show that they put on. Um, I, that is not biased because they've had me on twice. I just, it's a really good show. And, and we have, of course, had Ari on the show. You're coming on soon. Don't worry. You're on times. my docket. Hey, hey. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, just just keep buttering you up, Robbie. Get you on more and more. <laughs> um, Ryan, same thing, man. Plug it. Yeah, for all your uh, OU coverage and stuff, we're over at allsooners.com. Uh, the big name there is John Hoover. That's who you want. That's who you know, who you love. He hasn't gotten to a rumble with Brent Venables yet, but I'm sure that's coming as is tradition with Hoover. And then uh, radio-wise, 3 to 6 p.m. every day on the franchise. And uh, if you're ever in Norman, if you're traveling in, not an Oklahoma fan, but you're traveling in for an away game or whatever, uh, come hit us up. We'll be on post up on the north side of the stadium on stage, all that stuff, doing pregame stuff all year long. Yeah, Ryan is good people. If you want to go, you want to go talk some football, talk some sports, talk some OU softball, hit Ryan up. He's a smart guy. If you just want to go be a jerk, go elsewhere. Okay. Go find another place. But if you want to have a nice conversation, these are two guys to, to chat Big 12 with. They're both on Twitter. Go hit them both up. Boys, you have been fantastic again. Thank you so much. I I said we saved the best for last. And I don't mean to insult any of our previous guests who've helped with the with the with position group pods, but uh this one was pretty damn good, guys. Ooh. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. We appreciate it. It was fun, man. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott Nolan Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott Nolan Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week, and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. Soccer season gets underway this weekend. Every Big 12 team will be in action on the pitch. I am very excited. Love women's soccer. It's a very exciting sport. If you're not watching it, I don't know what you're doing. Like... It's come on. Women's sports are awesome. Collegiate women's sports are even better. Uh, I am very excited to have a guest I have wanted to have on this show for a little while. Um, I think one of the best coaches in the Big 12, a team in West Virginia who is, to me, a perennial contender in the Big 12. Coach Nikki Izzo Brown joining us today on the 1012. Coach, welcome to the show. Uh, Philip, glad you're you're having me this morning or this afternoon, and I'm I'm excited to be here. The season is almost here. I, I'm I'm sure you are excited. I'm sure your team is getting ready. I, I want to start. Let's just start on the kind of the down note, and then we'll we'll end on all the high things. Obviously, okay. you know, last year was a down year for West Virginia. Missed the NCAA tournament for the first time in since 2000, ending a 21 year streak. It's it's a very you know everyone has down seasons. It's sure. understandable. So I'm I'm curious from you what what were what do you view as the struggles with last year's teams or team? And, and what are you guys doing to, to try and correct those things in preparation for this upcoming season? So I'm, you know, those streaks, you're, you're so glad they, they just kind of get off your back. I remember uh, we had a couple other streaks going and one or doing things at a high level is very hard. 
and um, it's not easy, right? So uh, last year, you know, we were nationally ranked um, for mo most of the season, and then the injuries happened uh, that really hurt us, um, you know, and, and we started struggling to score. You know, I, I always say this, lots of bridesmaids, but not the bride. We, uh, we were getting a lot of ties last year. Uh, we had a winning season, and unfortunately, we didn't do enough in the win column. So, you know, with that being said, um, we have to get healthy and control that. And coach needs to be very mindful of that into the season. Um, you know, COVID, we, we got a little COVID in us last season also. So we're going to try to do our, our best to hopefully avoid that stretch. Um, so that didn't help. But at the end of the day, um, we had to put the ball in the back of the net. So you know, all last spring, we did a lot of sessions in front of the net and we ended in front of the net. And uh, so those would probably be two main takeaways from last season going into this camp. Uh, you you do return a couple of, of, I would say, some studs heading into the season. Fifth year forward, Lauren Sagala is back. Uh, she led the team with six goals last year. I mean, how is she taking, or I guess my question is, is she taking on a, a leadership role as a, as a fifth year player? Um, she is. She's yeah. a six year player. Oh, okay. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. I know. I call her my super senior plus. Um, <laughs> so she's, she's lots of S's, lots of S's. Um, Lauren absolutely is. We are so thankful and grateful that she decided to return for her six, uh, six seasons, you know, she's in her master's program right now. And it, it made a lot of sense for her. And, you know, she wants to uh, potentially be a pro. Um, that's, you know, an opportunity that we all believe she can do. So a player of that caliber returning, um, you know, pressure's a privilege. You know, I don't ever want to put more pressure on a kid. I just want her to do her job and, um, you know, make sure that all the experiences she has, she shares and she continues to get better. Who who else do you view as leading this West Virginia team in 2022 on offense? Um, we we have a very we huh, you know there, there's so many people to look to. Um, I would tell you that Aaliyah Scott is a returner um, in midfield. You know she's somebody we're gonna rely on uh, to really connect and you know break lines and get into the attack. Then you know you're gonna see Delari Bel Beltran who started every game. Uh, for us and Aria Beal, you're going to see, and then Julian Valorand, who, um, you know, scored a lot of goals last year. So I'll probably count on them. I'll lean on them. And then we'll, we'll kind of move into midfield and, you know, look at, look at some of them um, and say, Hey, you know, how are you going to generate the attack, but also how are you going to finish for us? Uh, it's gotta be good to know that you have somebody like senior goalkeeper Kayla Massey coming back, allowed the fewest goals in the Big 12 last season and uh, was second highest uh, save percentage in the Big 12. I mean, that's incredibly percentage. It's looking to have a rebound year. It's, it's got to be nice knowing that you've got somebody manning the goal that you can rely so heavily on. Yeah, we're really excited about Kayza. Uh, she is definitely a piece of, of that puzzle of leadership, but also somebody that knows her job. And, you know, that's one thing uh, with Keza. She's been here. Um, she's obviously has years under her belt, but she's also proven herself on the pitch that, um, you know, she can perform at a high level inside her job. So uh, we're real excited about Keza and, and what she can do. 
Sorry, Kaza, not Kayla. I really appreciate my notes app auto-correcting uh, her name for me so that when I go back to say it, it's the wrong one. <laughs> uh, so, so great. So uh, look, I, I feel like you guys should have a bounce back season. As you mentioned, injuries were a big part of last year's, you know, downturn. That's not something you can you can predict. But I feel like West Virginia and the program that you run is, is a consistent contender in the Big 12 and one that expects to be in the postseason. And it seems like national expectations for the Big 12 this year aren't very high. Uh, Soccer Wire put out their preseason poll for 2022. Only TCU uh, from the Big 12 was ranked at number seven. Texas was among those receiving votes. Those are, of course, the only two teams in the Big 12 that made the NCAA tournament that last year, which just feels like a down year for the Big 12. Obviously, Oklahoma State, typically a very good team. TCU's become a power. There's you guys. I, how do you view the Big 12 heading into this season? Was last year just kind of a, a dip and we should see a, a conference putting four or more teams back in the NCAA tournament? Or is there maybe a sign that, that the Big 12 is just kind of going through some some struggles? No, I, I you know, I, I think COVID um, definitely was, you know, a little bit of bump in all of our roads last year, but it was nationwide, right? Um, I I think what's important in, and hopefully we'll have a conversation at the end of the year is, you know, you have so many great coaches in the big 12 that are experienced and recognize that, you know what, we're not ranked right now, but what's important similar to what we didn't do last year is that we're ranked at the end of the year. So you're going to see the likes of that Texas tech and the likes of the Oklahoma state and the likes of Texas and um, so on and so forth. Uh, continue their journey and, and really focus on, you know, finishing strong at the end of the year. Yeah, it was unfortunate. And, um, you know, I know we talked as conference, we were disappointed that we didn't get more in, but, um, you know, I, I'm just going to call it an outlier year. And um, I know that there's a lot of strong teams returning, like you, you mentioned, TCU, Texas, of course. Uh, but I, I think there'll be some other programs that are going to creep up um, and do their their job, especially at the end of the year. You guys have a very nice non-conference schedule. Uh, you open with Indiana. You've got a ranked preseason ranked Penn State on the schedule, Auburn and Clemson. When you set up your non-conference schedule, because this is something I'm always very intrigued by, like what do you look for in, in how you guys set that schedule up? Well, I have a lot more wins if the woman doing the scheduling wouldn't schedule such opponents. Um, <laughs> so... You know, my philosophy going in is that we have to see ourselves at the highest level. So our non-conference schedule is incredibly complicated this year. It is, we are going to test ourselves in every way. Um, So my hope is failure is the best lessons and the best way to uh, see some of your strengths, but uh, more importantly, your weaknesses. So hoping, you know, that part of our season, we get it fixed we go into conference play, get it fixed. And then obviously the most important part of our season is the NCAA tournament. It's going to be, 2023 is going to be a big year for the Big 12 in the summer. Obviously four new schools are joining the conference in BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. All four sponsor women's soccer. So that, that's four coming in, even with the two that will uh, eventually leave. Uh, you know, looking at the four coming in, BYU, National runners up last year, preseason number three team. That that's a program that's that's very good in women's soccer. I mean, how do you view the Big Twelve moving forward? Is this a a conference that is just going to get better 
even after OU and Texas leave and with the four schools coming in? Or is it just going to stay as good as it is? Um, absolutely. I, I, you know, no question. We know BYU. Um, BYU is, is definitely um, has the pedigree and is going to show us that, you know, they've, they've been at the dance and they've been in that final game. Um, so we're, we're welcoming them with open arms. And, and then the other three, you know, they're, they're very, very strong in women's soccer and they're only going to add to what the big 12 has done um, and put teams in the NCAA tournament. And hopefully we will get the national champion out of the big 12, but um, I only see those schools enhancing the big 12 um, and making us and continue to make us a power five in um, women's soccer. It's a conversation we've had here on the show quite a bit as, as I've brought different coaches of different sports on of, you know, some sports are going to see a dip or, or, or a loss just because of OU and Texas leaving and how good they are. You know, we talk about softball and, and baseball, but I think there are some other sports you look at with, with what is coming in, even with what you're losing, the conference is only going to be better. I think men's basketball is an example of that. And I definitely think women's soccer is, I mean, you're, you're adding, Texas is a very good program. OU has been solid in the past, but you're adding BYU and three other schools that I do think care about women's soccer and, and do strive to put out successful programs. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would, you know, I 100% would I endorse what you just said. You know, we're only going to get stronger. Um, I think Texas and OU are two strong programs. Um, I hate to see them leave, but at the end of the day, I'm excited about the, the three coming in um, and, you know, what they're going to bring. Sorry, four coming in. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, Coach Isa Brown, you have been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot here before we go. I'm sorry. I, ha- I have to do this. You don't have to answer. You can give me the coach speak. It's okay. Who wins the Big 12 this year? <laughs> yeah, who wins the Big 12? Our goal is that West Virginia will win the Big 12. Uh, that is our standard of excellence. So at the end of the day, we want to win the conference championship, and then we want to get to that tournament uh, and hoist the second trophy. So our goal is to win that championship. That's what I love to hear. That's that's the answer I would expect. Um, I love to hear it. Coach, you have been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and, and good luck to you and your ladies this season. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, any place. Get at your boys. Okay, so as we continue to try and do here on the show, we want to continue to introduce you to the four schools that will be joining the Big 12 next summer and and some of the teams and the coaches and the programs that will be joining the Big 12 as well. Uh, Obviously, with soccer getting underway this week, Everybody's going to be hitting the pitch for their first games. I wanted to talk to one of the schools that's coming in that I mean everybody should know about. The BYU women's soccer team finishes national runners-up last year, losing to Florida State in the championship game. This has been a, a fantastic program, and one of the reasons I think women's soccer in the Big 12 is probably going to be even better once the four schools come in Oklahoma and Texas leave than it is right now, joining the incredible crop of coaches that are already in the conference. So very excited today to have Coach Jen Rockwood, head coach of the BYU Women's Soccer Program, joining us. Jen, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And excited to learn more about the Big 12, maybe even through this conversation. Let's start. Let's just start here. I mean, you guys finished as national championship runner up last year. Um, Soccer Wire has you ranked the preseason number three team in the country. I mean, you've been at this program for 28 years now, which is incredible, just incredible. And, and, and the run you've had as the head coach has been fantastic. Going into this coming season, how do you guys and how does your team handle kind of the expectations that have yeah. been put upon you? Yeah, I, I think that that will be our biggest challenge, I feel. You know, we had such a special year last season um, and, and accomplishing some of the things that we did and and then kind of graduating some really special players and some of our main leaders. Um, but we also, some people don't realize how many returning players we have from that great team. And we, we returned seven starters. So um, we have a lot of experience returning um, and, and some really good leadership. But I think anytime you come off a season like that and you've got a lot of these returning players, I think, I, th- I think the challenge for us is being able to manage the expectations and manage the pressure that the girls feel or that they've really put on themselves mostly um, because they want to get back to where we were last year. I mean, it was such an amazing run through lots of ups and downs. It wasn't an easy road for us. You know, we had to learn some good lessons along the way. Um, but I think the girls feel uh, after our spring season, this, uh, you know, last winter semester, we had seven of our eight freshmen that we signed graduated early and came and joined us during that semester. And we got 10 spring games in. So uh, we had a tremendous spring season. And I think after that, I think the, the team's thinking, you know what, why not expect to get back to the national championship game? So I think that will be a, a big expectation for us, but learning to deal with that pressure and that expectation um, with this group is, is, will be our challenge. As you mentioned, you do return a lot uh, mm-hmm. on a roster that scored a nation's best 77 goals last year, which is just crazy. Not, there are a few key pieces to last year's team that are gone. That includes both of your top two goal scorers in, yep. uh, in Michaela Coulihan and Cameron Tucker. Mm-hmm. I mean, focusing on offense first, how, how do you replace their production? And, and who do you feel on this team is kind of taking on the responsibility of trying to do that? Yeah, I don't feel like early on or this season that maybe we'll do that. I mean, Kayla was such a special player, someone who was a playmaker and then created goal scoring opportunities for teammates, but then also could score herself. I mean, that's quite unique. Um, Probably the most complete player we've had here at BYU. Uh, And then you have someone like Cameron Tucker, who was a threat anytime she was on the field. Um, I don't think we'll be able to do it with just two people coming in. It obviously has to be a collective um, situation. Um, but we have two girls, uh, we have Bella Felino and Rachel McCarthy, who actually weren't starters for us last year, but, uh, played starting minutes off the bench. So, uh, even though they weren't part of our starting group, they still had a ton of experience and played as many minutes as, as a lot of our starters. So I think Bella scored like nine goals, uh, and, and Rach, had for a lot of reasons had maybe not her best performance the year before she was a first team all conference player. Um, but she'll be back. I mean, we're going to put cam, I mean, we're going to put Rach kind of up to, to fill that spot where Cam and Tucker played someone who can get in behind defenses, someone who has tremendous speed and athletic ability who will stretch out the field and, and uh, cause a lot of problems, I think for, uh, for backs because of her speed. And then you have someone like Bella, who is probably our best 
true goal scorer on the team, one of our best finishers, which is why we're taking her out of our, our diamond in the midfield and putting her up top so she is in front of the goal more. Um, but I think between those two, they're very capable of scoring a lot of goals and creating assists for each other. And then we also have uh, Brecken Manzingo coming back, who also had a lot of goals and assists for us um, and is a, a big threat uh, from long range, um, has a very powerful shot, good left foot, good right foot. Um, and she can also create a lot of school scoring opportunities for us. Um, we'll move Jamie Shepard, who's our best and most experienced returning player. Uh, who played the six for us uh, and played it so well, was a starter for us as a freshman. So she has, you know, two years of start, really three, if you count the COVID season, she started three seasons already for us and she's our team captain. We'll move her into Kayla's slot. So a lot of it will be how she manages the, the ability to switch roles um, and be more of an attacking player, more of a playmaker. She's going to have a lot more pressure around her as far as people you know, at the six, you don't have a lot of people marking you every second, but in the 10, you have one or sometimes Kayla had two or three people trying to close her down. So a lot of it will be how Jamie manages that, um, but we really feel that she's a special player and can score, has ability to score a lot of goals similar to Michaela. So you, you kind of put those girls in the mix. I mean, that's a lot of good goal scoring mentality. And after our, our spring season, we felt like we would be able to play in the same system and the same format that we played this last fall. So everyone is quite familiar with it and it is a unique formation, um, but we used it to our advantage and with our returning players, we're going to stay with it for this fall, at least to start. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Um, now on the other side as well, gone is goaltender Cassidy Smith, who'd been with the program for a, a very long time. Uh, Seven years. Third. Doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Man. Now, even with COVID, that still feels like a lot. It is. Allowed just 13 goals last season. I mean, who's going to take her spot and, and how, how confident are you there in the goal? Yeah, we, um, again, we're in a unique situation with our goalkeepers. Um, last fall when Cass came back, um, we knew that we needed to get some time and some experience uh, to our second string keeper, our backup keeper. And fortunately, we scored a lot of goals last season in several games. So we felt comfortable in giving Savannah Empey those minutes. So Savannah got some good minutes in games in the fall, though they were when we were already pretty in control of games, but still that's something. And then uh, we did play 10 spring games, you know, two full 90s in each of those five days. And she was able to start in each of those. So again, she doesn't have a start yet when it really matters in a full counting game, um, but she does have some good experience leading up to it. So we feel really good with Savannah and goal. We also have a freshman, Tegan Sill, who has been phenomenal uh, as a freshman and she has a huge future ahead of her uh, for us. So only two keepers. We actually have three goalkeepers on a church mission right now, uh, which we weren't anticipating, um, but those things happen and we have to be able to, you know, work around uh, the missions that the girls decide to go on. So um, we have a return missionary coming in January. So we didn't feel that we wanted to go out and find another goalkeeper because we really just need a third keeper for four months. So this will be the first season that we've only had two keepers available. So we're hoping and expecting we can keep them healthy. Um, we know they can do the job in goal, uh, but we need to be able to keep them healthy. Yeah. Health always a huge factor in any sport uh, sure. to success next year. 
you are one of the four pro or four schools that will be joining the Big 12, joining UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. Obviously, you've got a season to prepare for, but but how are you preparing this program for that transition into a new conference come next year? Yeah, I feel like we're very fortunate in in the opportunities we have to prepare because the WCC is such a competitive conference. Um, you know, this year, this last fall, you know, obviously Santa Clara won the national championship the previous year. They played in the final four this last year. And so we had us at number two, Santa Clara at number four and Pepperdine at number three, uh, 15. So three WCC teams in the top 15. So having to prepare for those teams, um, you know, we have to be ready for the best. And so I feel like preparation that we have going into our last season of the WCC play will really get us ready to make the transition into the Big 12. I mean, yeah, looking at your schedule, obviously, as you mentioned, conference play alone, Soccer Wire preseason, Santa Clara at number five, uh, Pepperdine at 17. In the non-conference, you've got Arkansas and, uh, and North Carolina, who are both preseason top 10 teams. I mean, you, you have not held back on challenging this team with the schedule that you put together for this season. Yeah, you know, we because we're in the WCC, we feel like we need to play a very competitive non-conference schedule, not only to get big wins for potential at-large bids, but to prepare us to play against some of the best teams during the conference play. So um, we're not afraid to go out and, and play the big-name teams, um, you know, on the road or, or at home. And the fun thing is, you know, the Alabama and Arkansas games are return trips from when we went out there. Um, so, yeah, those are huge games for us and just want to challenge ourselves to prepare us for the WCC. And, you know, playing North Carolina is, is kind of a bucket list item for me. Uh, being a, to go out to that program and play them there, that's something we've never, I've never done. Uh, we were hoping it would be a regular accounting game, but it didn't work out. But we felt it would still be beneficial for us to go out there for an exhibition, really give us an idea of where we are early on and where we need to go after that game. So we really look forward to that this weekend. As we mentioned up top, you've been the head coach of this program for its entire existence, 28 years. For those people who are fans of the National Women's Soccer League, they might be familiar with a player now by the name of Ashley Hatch, uh, who just won the Golden Boot, was named the SP Award winner for best in uh, NWSL player this summer. Uh, she, of course, is one of your former players, a member of the BYU team from the past. I mean... What's it like seeing the success that she is currently having professionally? And, and what, kind of, what kind of benefits are you seeing for the BYU program because of the success she's having both in the NWSL as well as getting opportunities with the U.S. Women's National Team? Sure, just super excited and proud of Ashley and all that she's accomplished. She's one of the hardest working players that's ever come through our program. I've known Ashley since she was probably about 12 or 13 when she started coming out to our summer camps. Um, and so I was able to follow really her, her uh, development over her youth time and then obviously getting her at BYU and seeing how much she developed from her freshman year till her senior year. So much of that is just due to her hard work. She spends so much time away from practice working on her own skills. Um, and uh, that's, that's turned her into a natural and true goal scorer, which is what she does so well. Um, it's been just really fun to keep in touch with her over the years. Um, she comes back, she married a kid from Provo, is finishing up at BYU. So she's been back in the area and 
coming out and practicing on, uh, our, on our fields. And so it's been fun to see her uh, and just the success she's had. You know, it, it hasn't been an easy road for her. She, she got her first cap with the national team uh, as a senior here at BYU. It was fun, played up at Rio Tinto. So we were all able to go up there and I'm running around like a proud mom taking pictures of her warming up. And that was pretty fun. But, you know, she didn't immediately get a lot of, of opportunities with the full national team. She played some with the 21s, but she's just really taken advantage of her NWSL experience and made the most of it and, and has played so well at that level that she got the call back and, and now has had some really quality minutes and caps with the national team. And so obviously that helps our program, knowing that someone um, is able to accomplish what she's accomplished by coming here to BYU, that those doors and those avenues are open for those who are good enough and who put in the time and energy and work to, to get there. And, and Ashley has earned everything that she's received. She is such a hardworking, she's such a great kid and such a great ambassador and role model to these young, young soccer players. Coach Rockwood, you have been fantastic. Before we get you out of here, I, I, I want to end on this. Like I said, joining the Big 12, you've been the head of this program for this long. For Big 12 soccer fans and Big 12 fans in general, what is what is one thing that they need to know about your program when they arrive in the Big 12 and begin Big 12 competition next season? That we are going to expect to be competitive right from the first year. Um, TCU is was in our conference, uh, so I'm, I'm familiar with that program. Um, we've played a lot of the teams in non-conference games. It's extremely competitive, but we want to compete for a championship right from the start. Uh, we're going to come and play a, a style of very fast, high-pressure, high-scoring um, attacking soccer that's fun to watch. Um, and... Uh, we're just really excited to join the new conference. It's so good for our school, uh, for our football team, and anything that's good for football teams is really helps out women's soccer. So we're excited about the new adventure that we're going to be on. It'll be uh, hard to travel, uh, and and because we don't play on Sundays, we'll have to figure out the logistics of our our conference schedule. It will be different than everybody else's, uh, but we're ready for the challenge and excited uh, for that new challenge. Uh, since you guys have a history with TCU, do we going to have a, a fun little soccer rivalry kind of renewed here when you guys get to the Big 12? I think absolutely. Why not? We'll pick them. They're the, they're the, they've been the dominant program the last two years in the conference. Um, and so, and they are a team that knocked us out of the NCAA tournament the last time we played there. So although the girls on the team don't really have any experience with TCU, I feel quite a rivalry with them. I think that will be fun. So we can get that going, but just a lot of quality teams and quality coaches uh, in the conference. And we, we feel honored to be able to join them and we hope that we can bring even more uh, and add to the success of the big 12. Yeah. I, I will second. I, I fully expect BYU to show up and immediately be contending and be successful in the big 12. This is, as you mentioned, a very good soccer conference with some fantastic coaches, but I think you've got one of the best programs in the country and are immediately going to increase the quality and the level of competition and play in this conference when you guys get here in 2023. Coach Rockwood, you have been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today and, uh, and good luck to you and your team this season. Thank you. My pleasure. And feel free to give us a call anytime. We're happy to chat.
Sports Social Podcast Network.